Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Jason Langkammer, and if design build could be genetic, it would be in Jason's DNA. Jason's father was born an architect and a contractor, and Jason grew up both at the drafting table and on the job site. Jason's path to founding his own firm began among the craftsmen and Victorian homes lining the streets of Berkeley, where he grew up appreciating older architectural styles and the stories they told. College and graduate school in LA dropped him into a world of modern architecture outside any cohesive context, the freedom to design without accounting for what's next door. After a decade in Southern California, Jason returned to the Bay Area where he could take on the challenge of doing modern design in a region that has a strong historic character. Here he found he could look at old architecture through a modernist lens, distilling the dialogue between the two while creating homes that support his clients' 21st century lifestyles. AT6 began as a design-only firm, but Jason soon recognized that an integrated architectural and construction model would provide better control over the final product and protect clients from accountability gaps between architects and contractors. So, like father, like son, AT6 became a design-build firm focused on providing clients with a smoother, more coordinated, and trusted journey to their dream home. Now for my conversation with Jason Langkammerer. Hey, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Spencer. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited for today. Give everyone a quick rundown. Who are you? What's the company name and where are you located? So my name is Jason Langkammer, the owner of At6 Architecture and Design Build in San Francisco. Been doing architecture since 2003 and started the construction division about 2010. And we're doing exclusively design build work, a little more architect you know, driven. As again, we started as an architecture firm. So Trying to do you know bigger projects, bring that design build client experience and client customer satisfaction to just slightly larger scale residential projects. Very cool. Yeah. So you started in architecture. Did you was that just your background? Like why did you decide to start your own thing? <laughs> you know, it's funny. My my dad was actually had dual licenses as well. He was a licensed architect and contractor. And in as a rebellious teenager in high school, the last thing I wanted to do was be an architect. It was like, I'll do anything else. Yep. And then sort of mid-20s, you know, I finished college. I got was working in law firms and things like that and started to see architecture. I started to appreciate architecture in my own eyes, you know, kind of besides what my dad might say about it was kind of where I, how I viewed, you know, architecture and design earlier and started to, you know, be interested in it just with my own take on it and ended up total serendipity. I had actually bought a house in LA right after the earthquake in, what would that have been, 92, I think, down there, and, or maybe 96, anyway, mid-90s. And I, so 
prices went down. My dad was like, you should buy a house. It's a perfect time to buy, right? Typical developer, architect, contractor. So I bought a house and was in grad, or actually before grad school. And I got a, a business card in the mailbox it was from a location scout from a local production company. And they mm. wanted to use potentially my house as a location for some unknown TV show. But they were going to pay me, you know, at that time, it was like, I mean, it was probably a total of about three grand. But at that time and time in my life, it was like, oh, my God, I could change my entire life now. Right? Yeah, free money. So I, ended up, <laughs> I ended up quitting my job. They you know, filmed a couple couple episodes, quit my job, moved home for the summer and started working for my dad, doing some architecture stuff and started to look around. And there was this program in Los Angeles, which is where I was, that had a summer program that was kind of an intro to architecture. So I signed up and little did I know that they pulled people out of this program to fill their incoming class in the fall. And so what I thought was like this little bit of a summer, you know, kind of without having to work and then spend some time at home and then do this program, I'd signed up for a three and a half year degree program that next, that that following fall. So definitely my life kind of turned 180 degrees and I was a student again for another three and a half years. But but it really was something that I absolutely, I got through college, you know, that's about, about the best description of it. Yeah. But this was something I really felt passionate about once I finally got to graduate school and just, you know, I was the first one to get there, last one to leave. I just love, love doing it. So it that's was, cool. Uh, it was definitely, it was in, it was sort of in my blood, but I never, I never <laughs> did it the way I didn't follow my, my dad's path. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes we got to, got to get there on our own. I think a lot of times. So, so when you got out, I guess, finished, finished up the program, did you just go right into it from there or? Yeah, I was working for during school and after school, I was working for a, a small firm down in LA focused a lot on sustainable design, sort of trying to marry like good modern architecture with sustainable design and not have it look like you know, like there were a lot of the times and out of coming, he was coming out of the seventies and they would shingle a house with old license plates. Right. So it's sort of like, it's a design thing, but it's really kind of showing it's reuse or sustainability. He wanted it to act like this sustainable machine as a house, but look like any other good, good modern design. And that was really interesting to me because he cared deeply about both. And he was trying to find a way to blend the two. And then my dad did convince me to move back up and I never really liked LA and you can ask me a question about that later and kind of you know, <laughs> design sensibility was, I was drawn back to Northern California, which is where I grew up, but he kept on saying, Hey, come work for me, come work for me. Right. So I did for a couple of years, I came up, we, you know, I'd spend about three or four months in the office designing something or designing a couple of projects. And then I'd spend six or eight months out in the field, building it and then kind of go back and forth a couple of times. And then unfortunately he, he got sick and ended up passing away about almost 20 years ago now. And mm-hmm. so the beginning of my company was really taking over some of his client-based work and actually a project for my stepmother at the time when he couldn't work anymore. Wow. And then it kind of snowballed from there. And uh, and even the move into construction really had nothing to do with the fact that he was a contractor. It was more of a recession type of a thing. You know, I went out on my own in 2003 when he passed away, joined up with a partner in 2005. This is all architecture. Did some really nice projects, kind of got some real traction in the architecture side. And then 2008, 2009, everything, you know, kind of died. My business partner moved back, back East. I mean, I think I paid myself 20 grand for like that one year. I mean, it's just, that was like, that was like gross revenue. I mean, it was just nothing. 
Yeah. I, I spent some time helping a friend frame a house just a couple of days a week just to get some, some money in my pocket. Really kind of just scratched and clawed my way through it. And then realized that, hey, I, I don't have that many clients. I can really build this stuff. You know, I know how to build what I was designing at the time. So let me start trying to get more out of each client. And so that's, it was a little bit of need-based, you know, kind of branch into like, let's do this, let's build the projects as well. But it ended up being something that I, I when I finished a drawing as an architect, it wasn't satisfying for me to go home, right? I, yep. It was only satisfying when it actually got built. And so it really, it really just seemed to kind of, you know, go in that direction that that ultimately satisfies both my design itch and my creating you know, tangible things in the world itch. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And so, yeah, it sounds like that's what you guys are doing today. What kinds of projects are you guys focused on? So we, so back to the sort of LA, San Francisco dilemma, when I, I went to, did all my schooling in LA, including my architecture you know, graduate degree. And in LA, like there's no context there. There's no like traditional architecture. It's sort of, everybody can do anything that's you know, the biggest flashiest thing on the street kind of wins, if you will, from a from a Yo, design standpoint. Just go for it, right? <laughs> exactly. And it never really, again, it was it was never interesting enough to me. And so I've always liked, I'm a definitely a modernist. I like modern, you know, approach to design, but it's way more interesting to me to work up here where you have more traditional, you know, Victorians and craftsmen and even mid-century stuff, which is more, you know, kind of aligned with current modern design, but still has a, a handmadeness to it that, you know, is still 70 years old. So, so I really enjoy the, that dialogue kind of between like, how do you take this 1920s or 19 or even 1890s Victorian or 1920s craftsman or something and bring a modern life into it. And so that's some really interesting. And then it gets very much into the client. Mm-hmm. What's their personality like? What do they see as like everyone? Some some want it to look like it was always there. Some are okay that you open a door into a new room and it's like trans, you know, transported into some super modern spa-like bathroom or something. And I like that that part of it too, where the clients get to really help kind of author their 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 design. So, so that's from a design standpoint, that's, that was really, that's, that's what I think we're good at and what I really enjoy. I forget the first part of your question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was more just like the types, yeah. The types of projects, it sounds like a lot of transformation style. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we, we've moved up through the kitchens and baths and, and those kind of projects. We've always aimed for larger projects and really use, you use the word, I think you said transform. So, you know, transformational projects, so full house renovations. We've done a couple ground up houses. We don't get a whole lot of that in our kind of urban environment. A lot of our work is in the city of San Francisco and you can't just demo buildings here. They they're they're pretty strict about that. And even the outer, you know, suburbs, if you will, or kind of Greater Bay Area, is still pretty pretty well built out. So, it's additions, it's large renovations, even if it's all interior work, you know, changing the floor plan layout, things like that, which really transform the house is where we're where we're good. And from a construction standpoint, you know, construction team. A lot of those projects tend to be a little bit more complex from a structural standpoint, systems. There's a project we're pulling all the gas out of the natural gas out of. We're doing all electrified, you know, it's a big thing for, for sustainability, but it's it's tricky. Mm-hmm. And so so we've set up our staffing in a sense that works better on the larger projects, but we still want to do, you know, the smaller projects also have have a, a lot of advantages in many ways. And so we're trying to figure out how to 
how to do both. Yeah. Um, and the smaller project is still, you know, it's still got to be a kitchen and a couple bathrooms or something like that, or else, or else we really just kind of are priced out of that market. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's super cool. Well, I'm going to pivot a little bit, just thinking about your entrepreneurial journey. What do you think has been like the toughest part of just being a business owner? Hunting for what you eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having to hunt for what you eat is always one. Cause I get, I like, I like, you know, systems. I like process. I like building the business, getting me out marketing and getting me out. I mean, I, I, I can do it. It's not what I want to be doing, but it's kind of what you should be doing. And then there's just certain many hours in the day. I mean, I have three kids too, right. You know, they're, my oldest is getting into middle school age. So the last decade has been, has, I, I haven't, you know, I've been at home work, you know, helping with, with that a bit. So, so it's trying to, you know, it's growing a company is hard because you've got to do so many different things. And if you don't do it, you got to find the right people who are, and that takes its own amount of time and, and kind of working through, through different people that didn't quite work out or, or didn't grow with the company. So, you know, I feel like we're, we're kind of at a point now where we got, you know, we kind of have the construction team is will is really well run at this point without my day to day input. Mm-hmm. Design team, you know, I still that's where I focus a lot of my time. We got some good people on the design team as well, but extracting me from that is a little bit harder for me to let go of. Yeah, because <laughs> you, know? you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was easy for me to stop swinging the hammer. Right, that was one of the yeah. easiest things to do, and and not dealing with clients who's you know the water the hot water might have not worked that, that morning. Right, you know those kind of things are easy to give up, but. But doing the design work and and working with the clients on that sort of dreamy part of it is is it's hard it's hard to to say I don't want to I'm not going to do that anymore. But but that's the next step in growth for our company is really to to get out of that and really just be out there and you know promoting what we can do well and and you know making building that network and do all the things I know you help your clients with. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's cool. I mean. Yeah, everyone everyone always has a different answer for that. I'm always intrigued, you know, how how it'll play out and it oftentimes I think lends itself to the areas that you don't have as much passion or excitement around, you know, become the the toughest parts just because you don't throw yourself into it to solve it or work on it or systematize it or whatever yeah. you know, whatever it is. So one one of my first entrepreneurial things was I was 13 I think and I went my mom took me and I went with the my uncle who lived in Honduras at the time, worked in Honduras went down to visit him and did a little uh, scuba diving trip. I was 13. It was like, you know, it was one of those easy things. You do an hour or two of, of training and you go out for the, for the afternoon. And I just loved it. It was awesome. And when I got back home, I kind of dove in. I, I volunteered time at a local shop, like a local scuba shop. They didn't pay me, but they gave me credit. I eventually got some, some equipment and my dad was a big sailor. So he sailed in the San Francisco Bay and he had a, a you know, a, a fleet of, of other people that, that he raced against and they all had to clean their boat bottoms, right? Because it got kind of nasty here in the salt water. And, and so they would hire people who would, who would come out once a season or maybe twice a year or something and get their scuba equipment and they go down and they'd go underneath and they'd scrub the boat bottoms. And I was like, I can do that, right? <laughs> so I created this, you know, kind of pseudo business of like, you know, hey, I'll I'll scrub it. And I'm sure I was half the price because, you know, it was like, who cared? I, you know, I'm not sure what I charged, but it wasn't much. And the thing I remember the most was like getting this little receipt book and like writing receipts, all the paperwork around it, right? It wasn't yep. the like glory of having this company. It was about the little paperwork and the, again, the process. And then I remember exactly when it ended too. 
there was there must have been some little weird shift in the, in the tides and i went to clean this one boat and there were all these little little teeny like shrimp looking things and they got kind of in my stuff and i was grossed out and i got out and i was like i'm done <laughs> this is not this is not going to work for me and then i don't remember what the next little entrepreneurial thing was but but I think the funny part was I got so into these little receipt books on that one. Yeah. It had nothing to do with what I was doing. It was about like building the little business, you know, yep, doing the little systems. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's funny hearing you describe that. Cause I'm very much a, a starter. Like I can start something real quick and like figure out like level one, level two. And then I like, I have to really pour in to like, keep it going after that. And that, you know, hearing you talk about that sounds like where I would get a lot of excitement too, is like that those early stages of like, there's nothing here. And now I just created this business and here's how it's going to work. And then, you know, they're like, okay, now I'm bored. You know, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, Really, since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, we've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, what do you think's been the most rewarding part of you know, building the business and working through all these pivots over the years? I mean, it's still it's still the clients and the satisfaction that I get at the end of the day. I mean, I have a little folder next to my desk of all the notes that I've gotten, you know, and and it's tough because I mean, that's the big difference too from being just an architect to going into the and and the construction part of it is it's always tough at the end of the I mean, as good as you can be, right? There's always bumps in the road. Yeah. And when you get that client, you know, writing you a note at the end or a good review or whatever it is especially the ones that were the clients that maybe were a little prickly during the whole process. And they, even when things were going well, they were a little like, they never said thank you or please or any of that stuff. And then at the end of the day, they tell you how much this was like more than they ever imagined. It was, you know, changed their way they enjoy their house or enjoy their life. That's really, I think, you know, what I take away from it. I, I think somewhere in all of our kind of marketing writing, we wrote at some point that, you know, we think of, architecture and construction is, is half providing a product, you know, building, making a product and half providing a service. Mm-hmm. And I've been asked a few times, like, which one do you like better? And I, it really is both. It's that balance of both. And, you know, I would say if, if I had a, a design that I wasn't too proud of, but a happy client, I'd take that over, you know, the award-winning design that the client hated us at the end of it. Right? It's, it's, <laughs> Absolutely. Said for that, but it's, it's definitely a downer. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's cool. All right. So there's got to be like a, a weird project or wacky client story over the years, something. There's always something, anything coming to mind? Oh, I don't want to have recency bias. I'm sure there's a better, <laughs> better, better story than the one of the ones we're dealing with now. So I have one. So we did a project for a client and this was actually right at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, we got seven days into construction. We you know, basically demoed the kitchens, the bathrooms, and then they decided they wanted to sell the, the house. <laughs> so we were like, okay. And you know, it's something it never like, couldn't you have decided seven days ago, your value would be a whole lot better seven days. <laughs> but you know, lo and behold, you know, that we ended up, you know, they, they helped us get introduced to the people that ended, they ended up selling. They found a buyer who kind of liked the renovation direction we were doing. The, the wife of the couple ended up kind of stopping by the house and our superintendent, who's a, a really kind of gregarious guy, walked her through for, you know, 45 minutes and said all this nice stuff about it. And we ended up getting hired by them and they like, you know, doubled the size of the project too, which was great. So, wow. and, and, and really did a, done a fantastic job, you know, as far as what the vision they had for the house. But yeah, it was, a, it was definitely some pause, both from a standpoint of what are we going to do now? And then also like, why are you doing this? You know, we just demoed your house. Now's not the time to sell. Wild. Um, yeah. But, I know. Yeah. yeah. It just goes to show you like people make emotional decisions, you know, cause I'm sure something was going on and they're just like, all right, like we're done. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I can't believe you found somebody that was like, oh, cool. And we like this general direction. You know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're, we're down to just pick up where you left off almost. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Crazy. Well, what do you think the future looks like for your business? You know, you've, you went from just architecture to adding on the construction piece and now kind of where you are today. Is it more refining or do you have like different aspirations for the next like three to five years? Yeah, I think there's one of the things we're working on on currently is again, we, we, I mentioned earlier how, you know, our projects tend to, to get a little bit bigger and more complex. And that's how we sort of staff our projects, which doesn't translate well to a smaller project because we're kind of bloated a little bit in, in how we manage those projects. But we, we do see the value of trying to work in some of those smaller projects into our, you know, into our stream, more clients, you know, more like-minded clients and you know, not everybody who even has sort of a like-minded, you know, wants to sort of marry a, a modern lifestyle with a more traditional house or that thing has a big project. Some of them have small projects and we want to work with them as well. And so the challenge for us is trying to figure out a way to, to do both. We still want to aim towards, you know, the more architectural projects and we don't want to, we don't want to say no to the bigger projects, but we also want to not sort of be be a company that can't effectively do a smaller project as well. And it's tough, you know, it's tough to be both things. And so there's going to have to be, I'm sure, brackets around around both of those. Or you know, is it one team does one kind of project, another team does another, and that seems a little weird. So we're just working through the planning stages of that. But especially out in San Francisco, where the permit process is really kind of a binary choice. If you have a project that you're changing the exterior of the building. It's about a year to year and a half to get a permit. Wow. If you don't, you can get it same day. So it's like once you start <laughs> loading up your pipeline with these projects that are like a year and a half of permitting process and the neighbors get a bunch of input, you're just bound to have gaps in your schedule. And so so it's it's a little bit of a of a you know smart business strategy, but it's also, you know, that we 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 know there's a lot of good people that we want to work with that don't, you know, tend to have a just a big project. So that's a it's a challenge and and we're we're looking for kind of working on it now and looking forward to seeing if that we can make that work. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's cool though. Yeah. That is an interesting challenge, but I like, I mean, it's anchored in like really wanting to do a certain type of work and knowing that it doesn't just fall within a high end dollar amount, you know, it's going to look different. So we think more about a target client we want to work with necessarily than a, than a target project. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Well, cool. I got a couple of questions to wrap us up. One just about general industry, like last 18 months have been kind of bonkers in in this industry. What do you think are kind of one or two big challenges that we all need to be thinking about over the next 12 to 18 months? I mean, I'm sure everyone says it's supply chain, right? You know, that's, that's probably the number one answer if if not two. Yeah. (laughs) I think that, I think, I think some pricing inflation stuff will help with that. I mean, obviously that's a cause for inflation, but it's also a, it sort of loops back around and you got, you know, vendors and subcontractors who are worried about supply chain and they're going to inflate their prices because they're worried. And then of course, you know, from a market standpoint, the supply chain is is a cause for inflation, but it kind of loops back in kind of this self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, it's been fun um, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if that if we can get that just somewhere back to like you know, to sort of COVID back, normal, yeah. right? you know, even like pre early COVID number, not pre COVID, just that's going to help a lot of stuff and just a lot of stress. I mean, having like we just placed a a window order today on a project we don't have a permit for, we don't have a start date for, we think it's going to be in August, maybe. We're not sure, but we bought the windows anyway. We've done that now in every project, you know, in the past, you know, handful of projects. And there's some risk in that. And that gets us worried. And the, the clients are, you know, we have to get them to sign an extra piece of paper to, to say, hey, look, there's no returns, and and yeah. you know, and we're not taking them back. We're not putting yeah, them these on. These are your windows, whether they go in or you just keep <laughs> right. <them. laughs> yeah. And and so we, you know, again, people understand it. That's the main one. I do think I'm, you know, I get I'm a little risk averse in general, so I worry a bit about the, you know, not going back to the office and some of the what the kind of changes those make. But I can't see that that's if it stays, we're not going to go back to the office even more than it was pre-pandemic, people are going to need bigger houses. They're going to need to convert some space to an office space. Like there's going to be that market for remodeling and it'll probably stay healthy beyond, I mean, again, I'm not an economist, but I think that that fundamental need as people don't return to the office is got to kind of buoy our industry for for a few years at least. I mean, there'll be some cycle that that pressures us for sure, but but I feel like, you know, it's better than if everyone was coming back to the office. I, yeah, I tend to agree with you. Yeah, that's a trend that was like, it forced remote work, but then it's not going all the way back. It'll come part of the way back. And so, yeah, there's still a huge backlog of people that are like, well, I guess this is my life now. And so I'm going to make these changes. So yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Again, not financial advice from either of us. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, Jason, wrap us up with maybe one piece of advice or just something you'd want to leave as a, a final parting words of wisdom for other remodelers like yourself listening. I actually think I'll make a, a quick book recommendation, actually, because Sweet. it comes up all the time. So I'm in the Remodelers Advantage Roundtable, and I swear like twice every time we meet, this book comes up, and I think about it all the time. It's The One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey. It's a very short book. It's like a fable-type book. And one of the best things about it is you learn kind of accountability for for uh, you know something that you and a, and a coworker are discussing. So... Spencer, we need to to schedule a time to do this this call, right? Well, whose monkey is it to schedule that time, right? And so sometimes what happens is the monkey gets passed to the person 
who shouldn't be accountable for it and they never end up going back, right? And so we we would talk about that, you know, things passing around, you know, responsibilities passing around our office as monkeys and everyone kind of got what it is. Like, I'll take this for now, but it's not my monkey, right? I will answer this now, but I'm not taking it for good. And so that was, I mean, it's a super quick read. And I think everyone that has read it and been recommended to read it has come back saying that was fantastic. Just a little light bulb that goes off in your head that kind of is always on, it seems like, when you're having these conversations. Again, we just, I think I texted somebody about it, you know, two days ago. And it's just a good, quick read, you know, even if you're not into reading books for, for, you know, learning about business, I think it's like 40 pages or something. It's really, really short. So that was, that's a really great one because it it also helps in life. It helps in, you know, in non-business situations. Yeah. I'm going to pick up the kids, right? I'll pick them <laughs> up today, but it doesn't mean I'm picking them up every Friday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Yeah. That's a great recommendation. It's been a long time since I've read that one, but now I feel like I need a refresher because, and so did you read it as a team or because you mentioned you, yeah. Yeah. So I read it. It and then I sort of, yeah, I think I bought a couple for some of my key people. I don't think everyone on our team has read it, but the people whose monkeys they try and give to me have, have read it. Like, no, yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. Stop giving these to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, no, that's a great recommendation. And Jason, yeah, thanks for spending some time with me today. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Spencer. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.